Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hello again. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything, the podcast where Stacy and I answer any questions about nonprofits and your nonprofit stuff. We're presented by the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. So thanks to Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for making this possible. Um, and with that, we will jump right into today's episode. Hi, Andy and Stacy. I love how that one starts. It's so happy. <laughs> Having participated in a few strategic planning experiences for a few organizations, I've been trying to figure out who should be responsible for strategic planning. Should strategic planning be a board-only responsibility or should staff be involved as well? Also, is there a place in strategic planning for the recipients of nonprofit services? Thank you so much for this question because I have worked with organizations, and I'm sure you have too, Andy, that either have it be all staff-driven and very little board involvement, all board-driven with very little staff involvement. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is I don't think either of those work. Uh, I think you absolutely need a working relationship, a side-by-side with both uh, the board and senior staff leadership. Uh, I mean, because at the end of the day, I don't know about you, but if I'm serving on a board, I don't know what's going on day-to-day. I'm not in that business day-to-day. Right. So who am I to be making decisions about, about things without having that knowledge? Absolutely. And I think this is, this is one of those where the answer, I think, changes depending on the size of the nonprofit. You and I have talked about that a little differently because you have much more experiences with tiny ones and I have more experiences with giant ones. Yes. So the, the, for a baby nonprofit where there's you know, no staff or one staff, I mean, it's sort of stuck with, it's going to be mostly a board-driven process. Right. And the larger the organization gets, the more complicated it gets, the more in- involvement you're going to need from staff. But it's, I mean, you tell me, this is the board's job. The board is responsible for setting the direction of the organization and being sort of as a governance role to say, this is the direction that we want to go in. Um, Absolutely. And I think I have seen too many organizations that really sometimes mistake the strategic planning process for more of an operational plan and less of a strategic plan. And that gets really dicey when the board's involved in that, because unless it's an 100% board-driven organization, you know, with no paid staff, that is really tough because then board is starting to get into the minutia of figuring out, you know, everything from tactics of how, you know, day-to-day tactics, and that can get really um, convoluted quickly. So I always say, keep that board at the you know, the mission, the vision, the values, what are our strategic priorities, what are our goals three years from now, and and keep it at that level. And then, you know, hopefully the executive director and the, the team under the ED can actually then build it out from there. Yeah, I was just working with an organization working on their strategic plan, and this was mostly board-driven. There was there's one staff member uh, working on it, but it was a very small organization, so that seemed legitimate. But one of the things that they were trying to put in the strategic plan was the the development person needs to report X, Y, and Z on these dates. Oh, and it boy. was like that's that's no. you're way too far down the chain of like what you need to be saying is that we need to have this kind of information available to us, and this is the format we want to see it in, not 
this person needs to do this thing on this day. That's not your job as a board. And exactly. it's certainly not the job of a strategic plan. That's not strategy. That's that's tactics. It is. That's, it is. And there's a big detail. difference. And people get comfortable in that, right? Because in day to day, it is hard thinking big picture and strategy can be tough and really taxing on the brain. So I think that sometimes the comfort zone is people to go right into the weeds and really having a skilled facilitator or someone in the organization who can keep you out of those weeds is so critical to success. And, you know, the other thing is never thinking you can get a strategic plan in four hours. I, this is one of those things, right? Someone will call and say, oh, we need a strategic plan, but we can only, we only have four hours to set aside. And so I think organizations really being realistic about if all you have is four hours to get together, then perhaps it's going to be more of an outline or a framework for strategy. It's not going to be a full-fledged plan. Or is there a way you can kind of back in that or, you know, cushion it with front, front-end work before the four hours and back-end work after? Because I, I know people are busy. I know people don't have the time to give. But to expect to get a strategic plan and have it done well in four hours it's just not possible. Yeah, so you're talking about bringing in a facilitator who's going to facilitate a strategic, like an external person who's yeah. going to help facilitate the process. Yeah, I, I agree. You can't, especially if it's complicated at all. And But again, I think the a smaller organization, I mean, you can get, in four hours, you can get um, an idea of the direction you're going if your organization is really tiny. Very um, true. If your organization is big, the strategic planning process is going to take a couple of quarters yes. because you need to gather information from all of the program folks and everybody that's working on the ground um, to try to get that funneled up into this is this is the overall direction. This is the big picture goal we're going to hit, and that the people that are providing the information know that that's something that's achievable. You know, you're not going to you're not going to do something that your staff isn't capable of or that you don't have the resources to do too. And the bigger you get, the more the resource question starts to become apparent. Absolutely. And, you know, one final thought. There is such power in bringing together senior level staff if you're a mid-size or large organization and the board. So this really struck home with me recently. I had facilitated a retreat for a mid-sized organization, and it's going to be a three-month process. And when we started it, we had all the board members there, and all of sort of the director level and above of this organization. And the board was ecstatic because they had never had that experience before. They had gone through strategic planning processes in the past where literally it was just them and the prior executive director, but never had the luxury of understanding, you know, and getting to build relationships with other staff, understanding really what aspect and what their jobs are within the organization. It was a huge relationship builder, morale builder. And then staff at the same point didn't look at the board as, as, you know, oh, that board, that untouchable board, right? It was like, okay, these are real people. They're sitting here committing a couple of days to, to work with us and thinking about big picture. And it really helped unite the organization. So I think strategic planning, if you've got the right parties, can be a huge yeah. asset. So following on that, though, there's the last bit of the question, which was, um, is there a place in strategic planning for the recipients of nonprofit services? Absolutely. I, I think there is opportunity, uh, whether you might invite a couple of the recipients to play some role within the strategic planning, actually retreat or session, but even prior to that, why not have a focus group or some survey work to really understand what their experience has been, good or bad? Because how can you, when you're coming up with plans for the future, not have that information about um, 
your recipients and what maybe they have some great ideas for change or for a new innovative technique or something different, and it makes their voice heard. And it really is such a key piece of strategic planning, uh, having have understanding internal and external what's going on with the organization. What do you think? Yeah, there's some organizations have like members that they're serving as part of their board. Like, so yes. if you're talking about like a human services organization where you're, you're serving people who are hungry, for example, there might be, there might be a place for someone who has experienced that on the board just so that you can get their, their opinion. But this, the program staff should be collecting that information. Everything your organization should do should be focused on, on whatever that end product is. So that's, I mean, that's your primary market research and that should be informing your strategic plan. I understand that it's going to be difficult. So say you're in the homeless space, it's going to be difficult to get a homeless person in to talk with you during the strategic planning process. That might not be an effective use of anyone's time, um, but certainly under getting a really good understanding of what they're like, sort of what they're going through and making sure that you know how your particular mission is helping those people is super critical in understanding how your, your strategic plan is supposed to solve the problem. Yeah, the market research piece, I think you hit the nail on the head. That's where it's at. And I think so many organizations don't always make that a focus or a concentration until strategic planning happens. I would love to see that become more of an ongoing, just what the work is that they're doing from time, not just, oh, we got a strategic plan. Now we have to have surveys or focus groups or go, you know, have share, have our program staff in the trenches talk to us about what's going on out there. Like that should just be part of an organization. Yeah. And if, if you've been part of a strategic planning process that's included recipients of services, um, not, you know, if not, if you're a performing arts center, we don't want to know that you've got patrons on the board. We know that, but if you're, you're in one that's, you've done something really innovative, let us know. We'd yeah. love to, we'll do an interview with you. Oh, we that'd want to be hear awesome. how that works. Yeah. Okay, Andy, I think this one's for you. Recently, my nonprofit employer asked me to to volunteer to work an event. I don't really mind, but it feels like dangerous ground to me. What if I say no? Can I be both a volunteer and an employee? Man, that's such a tough, that's such a hard position to be put in. And every person that's ever worked for a nonprofit has been in that exact same position. Because here's the the scenario, right? You're, You're doing a gala event. It's the event time. Your job has nothing to do with fundraising or development, but they tell you, you need to take tickets or you need to walk around with a basket of raffle garbage and like try to get people to give you $5 to buy a piece of paper. Right. And, and depending on the nonprofit, if you're really big or you're really small or there's an HR department or there's not an HR department, they may decide to either pay you or not pay you for that. And, and so as an employee, depending on how much power and authority you think you have, you may feel pressured into doing something that you don't think is quite right. So the, like the technical answer is, first of all, the, as, a, as a general principle, is you cannot volunteer for your own job. So if you are a development person and your job is to raise money from people, um, even if it's data entry, if you're in that raising money space and someone asks you to volunteer to do something at the Gale event, you're not allowed to do that. You cannot volunteer to do your own job. You have to be paid to do that. Um, as a second level, if you are an hourly employee, um, you you need to make sure that you're tracking your hours because you can get in trouble and your employer can get in trouble if you are not being paid for hours you're working, regardless of whether or not you're working in an area that you normally work. That's just sort of an hourly thing. And nonprofits are in a weird place. No no major employer, like if you worked at a fast food joint, 
Like nobody's going to say, hey, can you stay an extra hour? We're super busy and it's just, you know, it's on your own dime, right? No one right. would ever do that. It's just, right. it would just like, it wouldn't be, it's just not cool. Um, and it's also illegal. Uh, so, so just be careful that you're in that position to make it known that, you know, if you're, if you're going to be working, that you should be paid for that time. If you're a salaried employee and you are not related to the activity, that you, so say you're, for example, the CFO, and they say, hey, you need to be taking tickets, or nobody's going to even, at that level, nobody's going to tell you. You're going to sort of volunteer yep. yourself. You're like, yep. if the money's going to be right, I'm going to have to stand there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, if, but, so in that case, if you're salary and you're going, you're kind of already being paid for that work anyway. So if you're on salary and you're at an event, you're not going to get any bonus money for doing it. It's just sort of part of your job. You shouldn't expect that to be part of your job. Um, but yeah, and in general, you shouldn't really be volunteering for anything um, if you're an hourly employee. And I think if organizations that are listening to this have ever asked your employees to do this or to volunteer, especially those are, that are not salaried, I would just caution to be really sensitive about this because I think it it is there is this um, sort of unspoken mandate that happens when your boss or someone higher up in an organization asks you to volunteer doing something, you know, legitimate that's separate from what you're paid for, your daily job duties. There is a little bit of, I think, pressure that someone would feel like, is this going to come back to bite me? And you would hope it would not. And yet the reality is, is that question exists. And so I think as much as organizations can find ways to build their volunteer base in ways other than their employees is, is what they need to do. Absolutely. And then, so in, in some of the organizations I worked a long time ago, I worked in what sort of arts and culture and in arts and culture, a lot of times the artistic director, the executive director are, these people are superstars. They're famous. They are like on TV. People know who they are. They have this sort of aura of um, celebrity about them. And those folks need to be extra careful because what they don't realize is that the people below them, um, we'll do things for them because they have that sort of celebrity aura mm. that you are a superstar and I'm going to do anything for you. And if you ask me, even if you just hint at it, say, hey, we're having the gala. Are you guys going to be there? That person needs to recognize in the back of their mind that they just told an employee to show up at the gala. Absolutely. They didn't they don't think they said that. They say, hey, are you coming? You know, not thinking that what they're doing is they're telling the employee to show up. So it's it's really important if you're on the executive team, if you're a board member, if you if you're in any position of, a, if, of authority is to. Be really clear about when, you know, the, the things that you're asking. Here's, here's the a fantastic example of um, when you bring food to a potluck. Like, depending on what culture you grew up in and, like, how much money you made when you were as family, like, when you bring a dish of stuff to the potluck, either you want that dish back or you don't want that dish back. And you need to know when you're dropping the dish off, like whether or not you need to tell the person you're giving the dish to whether or not you want the dish back. That's a great analogy. They may not, they may not be in that same sort of social hierarchy, Absolutely. right? It's like, oh, there's a really nice crystal dish. I wonder why they left it. Right. <laughs> right. And they probably wanted it back. So you just have to be aware that that your world is not their world and that you need to make those, you know, you need to be very clear about what you're expecting of your staff. All right, Stacey, here's one for you. I am speaking at an event next month. It's a competition for a grand prize of $10,000. There are three nonprofit organizations competing, and my organization is one of them. We each have five minutes to speak, and there will be no props or AV available. Any suggestions? Good luck. 
<laughs> no, I, I, these are always really tough, right? Um, for a whole host of reasons. And uh, it's interesting. I, just a personal story on this. I have served um, in the audience before of, of, you know, in situations where this has happened. And it is amazing how all of the logic goes out the window for those in the room or the people making the decision based on how compelling and how emotional the presentation is. And anything they know about what is a, perhaps a smart nonprofit to invest in versus what feels good seems to, they lean, I have found human beings, right, lean more toward the what feels good when they're actually in the moment right after presentation. So with that in mind and looking at neuroscience and brain science that talks about these decisions are emotional decisions, giving money is an emotional decision and it can be supported by logic. But at the end of the day, it comes from the emotion part of our brain. The end of the day, it is about a compelling story, right? It is about, I mean, if I were in those shoes, I would make my first line, like any speech, my first line and my last line would be incredibly well thought out and powerful. I would figure out a story. Maybe I could even bring um, someone from the organization who had benefited from our services. And Would even, that count as a prop? I don't know. I was like, is that a human prop? <laughs> I know. I was like, can you, is there anything you can hand out? But let's say, anyways, if you were allowed to do that, right, maybe that there would be some room for that. But I think um, it's got to be less about in these situations and particularly knowing your audience. I mean, most of the time I see these happen are with groups that maybe like a leadership organization or a community group that all just sort of pools together their funds. And we all know many of those, right? And I think at the end of the day, while you want to share impact, you share impact through the story you tell. And instead of getting into, oh, we served, you know, 5,333 people last year, it, everyone leans toward thinking that's what's going to make the decision. And at the end of the day, it is that person's life that was touched. It was that whatever the cause is, right? How you move the dial on something and you can share it in a very emotional, practical way. So this isn't time for jargon. This isn't time for giving a history about your organization. This is a time to tell a story. I think that's great advice. I think these, you know, from a nonprofit perspective, like I'm just never a fan. And no. I think that's the, and I think it's, I mean, exactly what you said, I think it's right. Because as, as a person who works in the trenches, you want to be able to say, you know, here is our change model. Here's how the resources our donors put in, turn into actionable results at the end. You know, that's our that's our optimization there. And it's, it's very serious and we want to work on the details. And in a perfect world, we want to provide you with just this drop, this giant spreadsheet deck on your lap and say, read all of this stuff and understand how awesome it is. But you're right. The way they're making the decisions isn't that. They're isn't. making the decisions from a gut level and they're just like, yeah, the neurology is really interesting. And, the, and, and in some instances, you know, maybe I'm changing my mind on this. This is a little bit more pure because this is how they're making the decision. This is. Wow. It's, it's, it's interesting and it's fascinating when you watch sort of the psychology behind all of it or you explore that. Here's the thing, though. This is not a time to be off the cuff. So I am a huge believer because I've seen this happen where you can see the person who comes in and just figures, oh, it's five minutes I can just like, you know, share something. And God knows, sadly, those people don't get it. So right. like it, I, here's the art of this. I think it is, I would say to somebody, figure out exactly what you're going to say, time yourself, rehearse it, but do it 
rehearse it to the point that it can sound natural when you do it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that will set you stages apart because then if it's too rehearsed, it feels too calculating for the people in the audience, right? right? But if you figure out enough ways to sort of have the right pause or kind of the right tone where this doesn't feel like you're just reciting something, oh man, it's powerful and you can win the money. the board chair of a grassroots advocacy nonprofit. My fellow board members, even our treasurer, don't have a great deal of financial expertise. I'm concerned we don't even know the right questions to ask when reviewing financial statements. What should we be asking? Mm, Good. So you should be asking why you don't have any financial expertise on your board. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) So I mean, there's, there's, if you really want to know the answer to the question, you can go on the internet and download any number of things that will tell you what questions to ask. There are tons of books about nonprofit financial management, nonprofit, you know, what board members need to know about nonprofit finances, those kinds of things. Um, But because you're asking the question, it feels like you kind of want the shortcut. Um, And the shortcut is to find somebody in who, who has that kind of stuff. And, And it doesn't need to be, and here's the thing. So for depending on the size of your nonprofit, you you may have people that are, are of a particular level, and you feel like you were bringing on new board members. You need to bring on all board members who are presidents and executives and CEOs and that level. You don't. Um, as a matter of fact, some of the some of the I shouldn't even say this, but some of the worst board members on financial stuff have been people from financial institutions. Because they, and they get to a certain level and, you know, maybe they did banking stuff a long time ago, but in the last 25 years, they've been in a customer service role and in a staff management role and in a big picture role. And they don't really remember any of the technical details that they had to do when they were in college or right out of school, right? Absolutely. So they've forgotten all that stuff. And so they look at the financials and they're like, that looks good. And, and then you'll get somebody on there who's like actually a working CPA or somebody who's, you know, a bookkeeper. And they'll be like, well, how come none of these numbers add up, <laughs> right? Right. So, so it might be useful to maybe set your sights a little lower down the executive hierarchy and find somebody who um, maybe is the controller at a small organization or the, you know, somebody who has a CPA and is retired, um, but isn't, you know, isn't going to give you a ton of money every year. They're not going to be able to meet that $25,000 a year board commitment, but they're definitely going to be able to provide expertise and being able to look at stuff and say, this is what, this is what you should be looking at. And you've all heard me do this rant probably before, but sorry, I sometimes just can't help myself. I'm going to do it again. Just because someone works for a bank does not mean that they are your, they are your financial expert because many times the banking people who go into these roles are the business development people at banks and really know very little about this side of it. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've I've had that in that too. So working at an organization and we would bring in a trip. I feel like we've said this on a different podcast, but if you haven't listened to all of the podcasts, maybe you don't haven't heard this. Um, I've always found it useful when I was bringing on a treasurer or a chair of the audit committee or a chair of the finance committee to pick somebody who specifically wasn't in a finance role. And a lot of times you'll get resistance. You'd be like, well, I'm not, 
You know, I don't know a lot about financials, so maybe I'm not the best person to be the treasurer, but that's exactly why you want them because they don't know the questions. They, they're never going to be embarrassed to ask a question. They're gonna, never going to be embarrassed to say, I don't understand this, which is exactly what you want your Great board to point. do. You want them to say, explain this to me in a way that I can get it without having that sort of ego of like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but maybe I just don't remember it, right? Absolutely. So, so picking, picking a PR person to be, on your, be your treasurer is a, is a really good idea because then you need to do the work to make sure everything's right. So for those organizations, so for this organization and this board chair who, who wrote us, uh, okay, so until they can get someone with financial expertise or some kind of financial expertise on their board, what do they do? What advice do you have for them now? Go on the internet and get, find a book that says bookkeeping for nonprofits or the board guide to nonprofit financial management. There are dozens of them. So it's not like you think here's five questions that every board should ask about financial statements. You really think they need to go a little deeper. Yeah. You need to understand. I mean, the, the, I don't know if there are any questions because like, so we get hung up on efficiency ratios all the time, right? So what the, what's the percentage of fundraising and, and administrative to program? As we know, that calculation is just sort of an artifact of the way your nonprofit is constructed. That just falls out. That has nothing to do with how efficient you are. That's just the math. Um, So all of the ratios that you could, you know, the things that you could look at, the things that you could ask for, like all those kinds of things are really just rolled up details that don't make a whole lot of sense for your nonprofit. So if you're going to look for something, look for financial statements that look like financial statements, you should get a balance sheet. You should get an income statement. You should get a cash flow statement. You should get a cash flow projection. All of these things should be complete. They should be ready to go. And you should have somebody that can describe it to you. So somebody's doing this work, like in any nonprofit, somebody's doing the bookkeeping and providing these. They should be. Okay, so that would be the first one. Do those exist? Um, and then get that person that makes it to be able to ask questions, about, answer questions about it. So can you explain to me why, you know, can you walk me through this? You know, that, that would be the first level of questions. And do you have a sense of what, you know, how often, I mean, do you have a strong feeling about how often those financials need to be prepared and shared with the board? It's assuming maybe a board meets quarterly or doesn't meet that often. What is your advice on that? I think it depends on the transaction volume. So if, you're, if your board is meeting quarterly, like at the food bank, like we did financials every single month. Like we closed the month, we did all the stuff, we published financials, they were good every single month. And then once a quarter, we would look at quarterly financials with the board. So they were seeing it every three times. Um, if you're in a tiny nonprofit and you don't get that much money, that much, not that much money goes in, not that much money goes out, you know, it's not that much work, um, maybe quarterly is good. But, you know, we've talked about the cash flow projection before too. That's probably one of the more important things mm-hmm. you need to make sure exists is that you know like, where's the money coming from? Right. When's it going to get right. here? Yeah. And I think another resource people might want to think about in addition to going online or checking out a book or whatever, because the reality is we know people aren't always, uh, don't tend to be the ones that jump at those ideas, uh, is also bring in, invite, if you do have a CPA firm or if you do have the bookkeeper who's doing your stuff or whatever, if you have someone who does your audit, there's a lot of people who, who will come in experts, professionals who will come in and share with you, let's review financial statements. Let's talk about what's important to look at. What are some questions? Let's like, you know, and can really do it in a, in a way that everyone can understand instead of, you know, they're, you know, taking their expertise that everyone's kind of a deer in headlights listening to them, but really bring it down to brass tacks. I think that's another opportunity for organizations. Yeah. If you're getting an audit, you definitely want to make 
the best use of that auditor's time, they, they should come back and provide you like an in-person review of everything that they looked at. And that's a good time. They will tell you what questions you should be asking. Yeah. Um, and that's a good, at least once a year to have that level of detail of somebody who knows a lot about it, who's gone through everything line by line, and they should be able to tell you, this is, you know, this is where it looks good. This is what you need to focus on, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Nonprofit Everything, where we tackle all of your nonprofit issues, challenges, and questions. Check us out at nonprofiteverything.com and uh, let us know how we're doing. Uh, Is there something else we should be adding? Is there a question you have that we can answer? Uh, We would love to hear from you. And as you know, this is presented by Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits and my wonderful co-host, Andy Shirk, and I uh, enjoy spending time with you. Until next time.